Welcome to Calvary. My name is Lorianne, and I'm co-leading the marriage retreat with Pastor Barry. Here at Calvary, we want this to be a place where you can come and worship, get to know God, and connect with our community. If you're new here, we can't wait to get to know you. Feel free to message us on social media or text the word hello to 587-323-1199, and we'll respond right back. This is a great first step to joining our church family. We also want you to experience daily personal encounters with God, discipleship, and community. If you want to learn more about our culture here, deepen your relationship with God, and find a small group that you can really connect with, we'd encourage you to talk with one of our volunteers or staff after the service. We want to let you know what's going to happen over this next hour. First, our band is going to lead us in worship that helps us understand who God is and to express our love and affection towards Him. Afterwards, we're going to take some time to let you know about some things going on here at Calvary. Then, one of our pastors will be sharing an encouraging message from our new sermon series. I'm so glad you're here. We were not created to live stagnant lives, to be stuck bound or broken. We were created with a purpose, a calling, a mandate, a mission. Even in these uncertain times, that calling remains the same. To go into the world, to make disciples, to share the love of Jesus. This is the work of Easter, the greatness of God, the power of the resurrection in action. What Jesus did has changed us, made us a new creation, given us an unimaginable hope. Grace has taken root, mercy has flooded our souls, and the promise of eternity has redefined our everything. So why keep all that to ourselves? It's time to put Easter in motion, to make a difference, to share Jesus with the world around us. If your life has been changed, it's time to get to work. If I was to ask you about your relationship with your dad, how would you describe it? Now, for some of you, uh, maybe that just sparked a tinge of joy and happiness inside because of your relationship with him or perhaps your memory of him, you know, or perhaps you feel grief because whatever your relationship with him was like, he's no longer here on this earth and you miss him. Maybe that question just triggered feelings of insecurity or inadequacy within you because you always felt like you never measured up for whatever reason and whatever way you tried, you were just never good enough. Or perhaps I just pushed a button within you and you are stirring up with anger right now. Perhaps he was absent. Maybe he mistreated or he abused you or someone in your family. Maybe he used whatever influence he had in your life for bad, for negative, for hurtful things. Well, can I just say that if that has been your experience, I am profoundly sorry for you. You know, for still others of us, you actually may say that you feel nothing. Inside, you're dead. You just feel emotionally shut down. Whatever our relationship with God is like or was like with our Heavenly Father, it may have a significant bearing on how we view God. You know, perhaps this is not a new concept for you. For instance, if dad was usually grumpy or angry, 
It's quite common for us to view God as grumpy and angry. If our father was distant and emotionally unavailable, chances are that our view of God, we view God as not interested in us or has nothing to say to us about things going on deeper inside our own heart. You know, if he was too busy or constantly distracted, then certainly God doesn't have time for us. If he was constantly joking around, and you could never have a serious conversation with him about something that was meaningful in your life or in your heart, then we tend to think that, that we can't bring anything of seriousness to God, that he's really not that interested. He's just going to blow it off, make a joke about it. You know, if dad had unreasonably high expectations, or perhaps he was very, a, a very harsh disciplinarian, then we can, we can feel afraid of God, feel like we never measure up to him. If our dad was generally kind, and he was approachable, and he was available to us, then perhaps our relationship with God and our pursuit of him could be a whole lot easier for us. But that even isn't always the case in how we view God. You know, or maybe for you, your father has never even been in your life at all. And, you have, and so you have little to no understanding of what a father is actually about. Do you find yourself anywhere in here? Can I propose to you that our experience with our earthly father has a lot to do with our view of God and our expectations or our belief of who he is? You know, here at Calvary, we like to explore entire books of the Bible on our weekend services. And if you are just joining us, we spent from September all the way to March in the book of Philippians, and it was a great study. And in, in the middle of May, we will be starting the book of Nehemiah that will take us all the way through until the end of summer. But before we get there, we are starting a four-week series following the most incredible and most significant event in all of human history, and that is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so our title for this is, He is Risen. Now what? You know, for anyone who chooses to follow Jesus Christ, what does it mean to live in the light of the resurrection? Can't I just believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, surrender my life to him, and that's good? That's, that's it? I'm done? What difference does it really mean? Does it really make in life? Well, if you've ever considered these questions, these are good questions. You know, we begin this series today considering the view or how we view our fathers, because it's a great place to start in understanding who our heavenly father is is. Let me say it differently. If we're going to live in light of the resurrection, then getting to know our heavenly father through Jesus Christ is a great place to start. Our text today is found in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19. And that's not going to work today. Follow along as I read from my notes. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open to us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful that your word is alive and active. And I thank, I thank you for this relationship with our Father, whatever that relationship looked like. But God, I pray for truth today about who you are. Despite the people around us, despite what we have experienced in our home growing up, 
God, give us clarity. And would you minister to our, our, our spirit, our soul, our body, and may your word come alive. I commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ's resurrection gives us confidence. It says in verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now, what is the writer of Hebrews referring to when he says the most holy place? Well, stick with me for a minute. This needs a bit of a history lesson. Shortly after God delivered the Israelites from their oppression and their slavery in Egypt, while they were still in the, des the desert at Mount Sinai, he instructed Moses to build a tabernacle. It was a portable and ornate tent structure serving as the place for God's presence to dwell. It would have looked something like this. There were three main areas of this tabernacle. There was the outer court, which is the portion around the inside of the tent where the general Israelites could be. This was where the priests would offer animal sacrifices on behalf of the people. Then there is the holy place, which is the front portion of that building-like structure you see in the pick. And then the most holy place, or the holy of holies, as it was also called, located in the smaller back portion of that same structure. Now, the tabernacle was initially given by God to Moses as a place for his presence to dwell among his people. And this was about 1500 BC. You see, while God is omnipresent, which means everywhere present at the same time, the Holy of Holies was seen as a special place for God to dwell in the midst of his people. Now, it's important to understand what this word holy means. Its most basic meaning is set apart. It is not possible for sin to dwell in the presence of God. And so anything that is to be used of God needs to be free of sin. For God is completely separate, completely set apart from sin. But because of the fall where Adam and Eve disobeyed God, chose to disobey God back in the Garden of Eden, sin entered our lives, entered the world as a whole. And that's why we can no longer meet with God face to face as they did. Because sin separates us from God. And it is because of this that only priests could enter the holy place and did so on a daily basis to perform a number of different ceremonies and, uh, and tasks to minister before God. You could read more about that in Exodus chapter 35 if you want to study that. And the most holy place, it contained the Ark of the Covenant. It would have looked something like this. On top of the ark is a special area called the mercy seat. This was seen as the throne room of God, the very presence of God in the midst of his people. And so only, only the high priest could enter this most holy place, and that only once a year to offer the blood of the Passover lamb to cover not only his sins, but also the sins of all the people. He had to go through several purity ceremonies before he dared enter the very presence of God. Anyone who entered this chamber in an unworthy manner or when he was not supposed to would die instantly. So though God was always present, their sin made him inaccessible. And though he is loving and compassionate, his holiness would be terrifying to approach because of their sin. King Solomon eventually replaced this tabernacle with the temple in about 970 BC. And although it was much larger than the tabernacle, the basic design was identical. And here's a rendition of what that temple may have looked like. What the, reader, the, the writer of Hebrews is getting at in this verse is that it was the Jesus' blood shed during his suffering and during his death 
that atones, that covers over, that appeases for the sin of the people. And as we looked at a few weeks ago, Jesus became that Passover lamb whose blood covered the sins of the people. And the fact that his blood covers our sin, forgives our sin, cleanses us of our sin, gives us confidence now to enter the most holy place where God dwells. And so this confidence comes through Jesus. Verse 20, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now, what is that curtain that this writer is referring to? Well, separating the holy place from the most holy place was this heavy curtain. Get this. In the temple, during the years that Jesus walked on this earth, that curtain was about 60 feet high. And it was 30 feet wide. And it was as thick as a man's handbreadth, So about four inches in thickness. One early Jewish writing writer says that the veil was so heavy that it took 300 priests to move it or to adjust it. Can you imagine that curtain hanging in your front window? And watch what happens. When Jesus is on the cross, he has suffered all day from the brutal scourging, the beatings, the scorching hot sun, the extreme blood loss. Matthew 27, verse 50. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, Jesus became the real live Passover lamb sacrifice for the sin of all people throughout all time. And the timing of his death fell on the exact day of the, of the year, the day of atonement, as it was called, that the, holy, the, holy, uh, the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies to offer the blood sacrifice of the Passover lamb for the sin of the entire nation. So can you imagine, at the exact moment, Jesus exclaims, it is finished, and breathes his last breath on the cross at Golgotha, outside of Jerusalem, Caiaphas, the high priest, is in the temple, standing in his position in the inner court, preparing to offer the blood of the spotless Passover lamb. In that instant, an inexplicable mysterious, supernatural event occurs that this massive fortified veil that stood blocking the Holy of Holies is suddenly split in two from top to bottom, all the way down. Wow. That veil was so thick, there's no possible way that it could be torn by human hands. It's like invisible, divine hands reach down and effortlessly tear it in two. So, what do we make of all this? What significance does this torn veil have for us today? Well, it says there in verse 20, it says, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain. The tearing of the veil at the moment of Jesus' death dramatically symbolizes that his sacrifice, the shedding of his blood, was sufficient atonement, was a sufficient appeasement for sin once for all. It signifies that now the way into the Holy of Holies is open for all people at all time both Jew and non-Jew. So that when we trust Jesus, there is no longer a barrier blocking us from God himself. 
See, the whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant, as described in the Old Testament of the Bible, is suddenly fulfilled. There is no need anymore for animal sacrifices. Jesus fulfilled them all. He opened a new and a living way through the curtain. In other words, there's no physical curtain, no, uh, nothing to go through between us and God. It's Jesus Christ himself. And when we approach Jesus, we approach God through Jesus Christ, there is nothing, there is no barrier blocking us that separates us from the very presence of God. The one whose holiness was too terrifying for anyone to approach. But now, no more. No more. The limits that sin placed on our access to a holy God are removed. Verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. In the Old Testament, people had to go through the priest to have their sins forgiven. The high priest is the one who went into the very presence of God and offered the blood sacrifice to cover their sin. And even though there are some traditions still today that still require people to go through a priest to get their sins forgiven, that's not needed anymore. And it hasn't been needed since Jesus died and rose again from the grave. Jesus is the great priest over all people who come to God through him. And that's why he says in John 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have never made this decision, if you have never come to God through Jesus Christ, is today the day that you'll do that? You know, in the back of your sermon notes, if you have them with you, here's the sermon notes on the back. It's just a process. It's just a way, it's a, a, a way described how to access God through Jesus Christ. I encourage you. I invite you. If this is a decision that you have not made and you are ready to do it today, you can simply read through this. There's a prayer there if you need some extra words. But don't let another day go by where you don't access God through this new and living way of Jesus Christ. When we trust Jesus and the sacrifice of his blood to cover, to forgive our sin, we have this direct access to Almighty God. And do you know who this Almighty God is? Specifically, do you know who it's referring to? You see, remember the Trinity, that God exists in three eternal, uh, they coexist as three eternal persons, as one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, this Almighty God that we're talking about here, this is Father God, our Heavenly Father. So what is all of this building up to? What's the big change? What's the next big step after Jesus' death and resurrection? Confidence through Jesus enables us to draw near to God. Enables us to draw near. That is the next step. But can I just say that if you are stuck in your image that God is mean and he is harsh you probably won't draw near. If you fear that God, your heavenly Father, is about to smack you because of some minor mistake that you have made, you're probably going to be very hesitant to approach him. If you still think that God is too busy to pay attention to you, he's too distracted because he has such more important things to do than look after you, than pay attention to you, you probably won't even bother drawing near. And if you believe that the only way you can, that you can get anything from God, that you can 
have your prayers answered or get him to pay attention to you is that you have to somehow manipulate him. You've got to control him. How will you ever draw near with a sincere heart, as it says there in verse 22? If you still believe that you have to perform a certain way, that you better be perfect before you come to him, that you have to work for his love, you got to work for his approval, well, then how can you draw near to him in full assurance of faith? If you believe that you will never be good enough, how can your faith, how can your trust ever grow in God? If you still think that what you've done is too bad, it's too evil, it's too destructive, that there's no way that he can forgive you. How are you going to allow him to sprinkle your heart with Jesus' blood and cleanse you from your guilty conscience? You know, I think I've walked in each one of these throughout the journey of my relationship with God through the years. These have been a true part of how I have viewed God. And now I have had trouble connecting with him in meaningful ways. I honor my dad because through him and through my mom, I was given life. I'm very grateful for that. And I'm so grateful for their investment in my life. And so I mean no disrespect to him when I acknowledge to you that most of my pain and brokenness in my life came through my dad. There was blessing that came down from the generational pipeline through him to me. And there was blessing that came to me by his personal engagement with me and my relationship with God. And there were some things that were not good. They were not helpful. One day, maybe I can share some of those stories with you. But I can tell you from the honesty and the sincerity of my own heart, I am so thankful for what I've gone through because I have experienced God in the midst of hurt and brokenness in profound ways. And I can tell you that it's partly because I've been willing to look at this brokenness that I've been determined to address, to remove obstacles that get in the way of my relationship with my Heavenly Father. Jesus suffered. He died. He rose again so that I could have direct access to my Heavenly Father. And not just that I could draw near, but that I actually will draw near. That I will make the choice to draw near to him. And he did it for you. No parent is perfect. We're all broken. I got some of my own kids here today. We're all broken in some ways. We make mistakes. But are you willing to lay down some of your wrong perceptions of who God is because you think that he's a direct reflection of your earthly father? Are you willing to forgive your dad for his mistakes so that you can open the door to healing from your past hurts? Will you seek Jesus to heal these hurts, to correct the lies that you believe about your heavenly father? 
You know, it's very natural for us to draw conclusions about who God is based upon the environment and how we were treated growing up in our home, but I can almost bet that many of those conclusions are not true. They're not accurate. And if you had a good relationship with your earthly father, then I hope that some of those experiences are reflected in your relationship with your heavenly father. And quite frankly, you know what? It may not even matter how good or how bad your relationship was with your dad. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve have the best, they had the perfect father possible. The most perfect father in God himself. And they still developed misguided, selfish, totally misinformed views of who he was. So if, if that can happen to Adam and Eve, it can happen to any one of us. Are you willing to look at these things? Jesus has, written, has risen. He is alive and well, and he is seated right now at the right hand of God the Father. Amen. Amen. But now what? No matter what your, our current perception of who God is, Jesus came to reconcile us to our heavenly Father. We can experience forgiveness. We can walk free of condemnation and shame. We don't need to be hounded by guilt anymore. These are available to us through Jesus because he is the one that has given us access to God the Father. And God the Father is good. He is loving. He is kind and compassionate. Despite what you may think now, he is a loving father whose arms are open and he's waiting for you to come. I'd like to give some space for us to do that today. For God to minister to us. This isn't on PowerPoint, but Hebrews chapter four, verse 16 says this. He says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Then we will receive mercy, receive his mercy, and will find grace to help us when we need it most. Will you do that now? Will you come boldly to the throne of our gracious God? I'm going to go, I'm just going to walk us through a conversation with God now, a process that may bring healing, it may bring truth, it may bring freedom to us. This is how it's going to work. I'll ask, I'll invite God to do something, and then I'll simply give it a few moments for him and you to interact. And then we'll move on to the next question. And I invite you to maybe close your eyes during this time. To quiet your spirit and your thoughts inside. And after each question, I invite you to pay attention to a flow of ideas or a flow of thoughts that come. Maybe it's a picture that you see inside. Perhaps it's a certain memory that comes to mind or emotions that start to come to the surface. Pay attention to these things. That may be God speaking to you. I will also be inviting you to do some things. You will know when they come and you may respond to those prompts if you wish. Let's lean in with God during this time. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the way into the Holy of Holies 
to the very presence of God. And now in the quietness of our own heart, even as we are here in community, we come. And God, we, we come to you in Jesus' name. And I guard this time by Holy Spirit. God, would you reveal hurts from our earthly father right now? Reveal some hurt that affects our view of who you are. Holy Spirit, as this may be painful for some of us, would you come and comfort us, each one, comfort us in our pain. Would you give us a fresh sense of your presence in the midst of this? Now I invite each one of you, perhaps you have this experience in your mind, are you willing to forgive your dad? You may wrestle with it. Forgiveness is both something that we feel deep in our heart as we release them, and it is also a cognitive choice by an act of our will that we can make. Would you be willing to forgive your dad? And it could go simply something like this, by an act of my will, I now forgive dad for... Finish the sentence. Now, Holy Spirit. I ask you to reveal messages that are not true, lies, statements that we chose to believe inside, misconceptions about who God is, who you are, that we believed inside because of these experiences. What are those lies and those messages now? Would you bring them to mind? for the ways that we have chosen these lies, we have walked in these misperceptions, misconceptions, do you need to repent? I invite you to repent for holding on to these wrong beliefs and how you responded 
to these wrong beliefs, these lies, maybe in anger, mistrust, maybe in rejecting God. And the statement, it could simply go like this, in Jesus' name, I repent for... Finish the sentence. Spirit, as we've repented for holding on and our response for some of these things, you are the spirit of truth. Will you now lead us in all truth? So would you bring correction to this misconception? What is the truth? regarding who we are, regarding who you are, regarding how life perhaps works around us. Reveal your truth now. Jesus, as we've chosen to walk in forgiveness and repentance, allowing, into, allowing you into this place of our heart, of our life, I ask you to come now, heal us of these painful emotions. Would you lift these things out, whatever it is, Help us to identify, bring words to mind of what these damaged emotions are. But Lord Jesus, would you come and would you lift them right out of our spirit, right out of our soul, and off of our body. Would you come and would you cleanse us from all unrighteousness, from the sin? Would you cleanse us from the effects of us believing in these lies and how we've responded so poorly to you in the midst of them? You say that when we confess our sin, you are faithful and just and will forgive. So I affirm that forgiveness to each one of us God, would you come now and cleanse us and wash us of the stain of this sin and the effects. And now, Lord Jesus, would you come and would you give each one of us here, each one, a picture of Heavenly Father's love and attention to us? How do you want your relationship with us to look like? Would you give us that picture now?
You know, whenever we have believed lies, misconceptions of God, when we've reacted, responded poorly, walk in unforgiveness, we give the enemy a foothold in our lives. But by our forgiveness of those who have hurt us and repentance for our wrong, ungodly reactions to those hurts, we remove the footholds, those legal rights that the enemy has. So let's do that now. Lord Jesus, please come and remove the footholds. Cancel the legal rights that were given over to the enemy in each person's life here now. Remove the structures, the spiritual structures that have been constructed in our spirit, in our soul, or in our body, someplace in there. Lord Jesus, would you now lift off of anyone here, any spirits of darkness that have gained a foothold into any area of our lives because of these things? Would you take them away? Would you lift them off? And you deal with them in however you see fit. Jesus' name, enemy, you are not welcome here anymore in any person's heart. In Jesus' name, I command you to leave now. You lift off now, and you go to Jesus to be dealt with as he sees fit. And now, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and fill the vacancy within our our own heart and our spirit, our soul that the enemy has, the enemy occupied? Would you come and fill each one of us now with your love? You say in Romans 5.5 that the role of the Holy Spirit is to fill our hearts with God's love. So right now in Jesus' name, would you come and fill and pour your love into each person's heart? Overflowing. Holy Spirit, overflowing. Bring your truth. Fill with your power and your presence right now. Now I invite each one of you to actually draw near to your heavenly Father in these moments. If it's helpful, perhaps you can picture yourself moving toward him. Lord Jesus, please give each person a picture of what this drawing near may look like. Would you do that right now? now in Jesus' name and by Holy Spirit, I seal this ministry into each person's life, spirit, soul, body. May this work that God is doing here now take root in our life. And may it bear fruit in the kingdom of God. And may it bring God 
as the worship team is going to come. We're actually going to end our service. They're going to keep playing. They're going to keep worshiping. If you would like to continue here, this is just going to be a place of quietness. You can come to the front. You can kneel. There's going to be prayer team here. Um, Prayer team, in fact, why don't you come now? Elders, why don't you come? We'd be happy to pray with you. If you need to leave, you need to go get your kids, please do so quietly so that this place, this whole sanctuary can be a place of quietness for all who want it between us and God. So, but before you leave, I just want to give you a blessing. There's fellowship downstairs. You can go get coffee and those kinds of things. But I want to bless you. So I just encourage you, why don't you stand right now? We like to hold our hands open like this, just as a way of saying, God, I want it. Bring it on. So if you feel comfortable, I welcome you to do it. May God bless you. May God keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance toward you and give you his peace. I bless you in Jesus' name. And all who want it, say amen. So again, if you need to go, please leave quietly. If you want to remain, please do so. You can come to the front. You can stay. You can just sit down where you are. But let's enjoy the presence of God today.